Chapter 11 of The Boy Scouts on Lost Trail by Thornton W. Burgess. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 11 Plimpton's Visitors. It was Plimpton's turn to guard camp. As Upton had said, it ought not to have been necessary to post a guard. In fact, as a rule, such a thing is almost unheard of in the great woods. Supplies must be protected from predatory animals, but otherwise a camp may be left open and unguarded for days at a time. However, the experience at Little Goose Pond had proved that there are exceptions to this rule, and had left a feeling of uncertainty in the minds of the boys. Although Pat was quite sure that the thief had been passing through and had gone on about his business, and that they would have no more trouble from him, Upton deemed it best that the camp should be at no time left wholly alone and had announced that each day he would appoint a guard alter and hal had gone east to explore the upper end of the hollow pad and spud had started to try to locate a trail which pad had been told entered from the northwest plimpton policed the camp and put it in order and had then brought out his notebook maps and sketchbook intending to complete his records up to date and make a rough sketch of the hollow as it appeared from the cabin and also a sketch of the cabin itself he possessed a considerable degree of skill with pencil and brush and the romantic history of the old cabin and its picturesque appearance in its wilderness setting had made strong appeal to the artist within and he welcomed the opportunity to sketch it undisturbed mindful of his duty as guard he chose a spot which though some distance from the cabin commanded a full view of the doorway and at the same time would give him the desired composition for his sketch an old stump furnished him a seat and he was soon busy with pencil and paper. A pair of whiskey jacks, the ever-present Canada Jays, had taken possession of the camp as is their way, and were making themselves very much at home, investigating everything about the camp, and even venturing inside the doorway. A mink appeared from the direction of the spring. He paused for an instant, sniffed suspiciously in the direction of the cabin, and then vanished as only a mink can. It was as if the earth had opened and swallowed him, a minute later he reappeared, running with nose to the ground and quartering like a hound. He had caught the fresh scent of a rabbit and was trying to unravel Bunny's trail. Later, a porcupine shuffled into view, paused as if it minded to explore the inside of the cabin, apparently thought better of it, and went on about his business. Plimpton wondered if it was the one that had routed the camp that first night, and chuckled at the memory. A red squirrel dropped on the roof and scolded the jays. In watching these fascinating wildlife scenes, Plimpton quite forgot for a time his real purpose. When he did get down to work, he became so absorbed in it that he quite forgot everything else. How long he had been at work he did not know, but it had been some time when he became aware that Chatterer, the red squirrel, was making an unusual fuss even for him. It was evident that he was excited, very much excited, and that something met with his disapproval. Idly wondering what it was, Plimpton looked up to locate him. He was still on the cabin roof, and his tail was jerking as if actuated by nothing less than an electric dynamo. His voice had a sharper pitch than usual, and it was very plain that he was hurling invectives of the most biting kind known to squirrel language. Yes, Chatterer was excited, too excited to sit still, for he would run along the roof a few steps, then back as if quite beside himself but all the time he kept his eyes fixed in one direction, to the left and slightly to the rear of the cabin, where the thick undergrowth met the tiny clearing. Wonderingly, the young artist looked in the same direction. For a moment, he 
he did not fully take in what he saw his first impression was that it was a man who had just stepped out of the thicket and a fleeting thought of a thief crossed his mind then with a sudden sinking feeling inside he realized that it was no man but a bear no wonder that chatterer was excited plimpton felt no less so himself in fact he rather envied the squirrel his place of vantage on the cabin roof it is all very well to read and be told that the black bear is one of the most timid animals in the woods and less cornered and that man has nothing to fear from him but in the face of an unexpected meeting with him on his native soil one may be pardoned if suddenly assailed by a flood of doubts it was so with plimpton now all the stories he had ever read about the timidity of bruin amounted to nothing in the face of the solid fact that there stood a huge beast big enough and strong enough to crush the life out of him and here was he unarmed and helpless for pat's rifle was in the cabin never in his life before had he felt so small and insignificant scared said he telling about it afterward why i could feel my hair rise right up and i had that all gone feeling inside as if my stomach and everything else had dropped out i knew that according to theory the big brute would take to his heels at the first move i made but somehow i hated to try the theory it didn't look so plausible then as when i read of it and so i just sat still fact is i was too scared to move anyhow for two or three minutes after i first saw him it seemed hours to me he sat on his haunches studying the cabin and sniffing the wind was from him to me so that he didn't smell me and as i was sitting perfectly still and was partly hidden anyway of course he didn't see me i guess he smelled the bacon we had had for breakfast for presently he dropped down on all fours and shuffled over to the fireplace and began to paw over the ashes when he lifted his head one of the pothooks scraped his nose and he gave it a biff that sent the lug pole and all the pothooks flying then he found the hole where we had thrown the bacon rind and other refuse from the table and for about five minutes he was a happy bear to judge by his grunts as he cleared the hole out after that he wandered about uneasily he kept looking over to the cabin and i knew well enough that he smelled the venison hanging there but he was suspicious i suppose there was just enough man smell to make him cautious and he couldn't quite get his nerve up to the point of making a closer investigation two or three times he sat up and studied the cabin wrinkling his nose sniffing and drawing his lips back so that i could see his teeth then he went back to the fireplace and after pawing around there some more went over to the table i guess there may have been some crumbs on that though i thought the whiskey jacks had picked up all those anyhow he reared up and put his forepaws on the table and of course one of the strips of bark gave way and let one paw through that made him mad again he was sure short on temper that bear and it took him about two seconds to finish that table all but the four posts i guess by that time he had made up his mind that there was no one at home for he started toward the cabin as if he intended to find out what was there he was about halfway there and i was trying to get my nerve up to yell at him for i knew what would happen to our supplies if once he got at him when all of a sudden he stopped short pricked up his ears looked up the trail by which we had come in sniffed a couple of times and then with a growl whirled about and dusted for the woods as if the old nick were after him say maybe i wasn't glad i sat right where i was until i was sure he was really gone and then i hiked up to the cabin and grabbed the rifle you bet i was going to be ready for him if he showed up again but what had frightened him was what stuck me 
i guess it was all of ten minutes later that i heard a noise up the trail and looked up to see a man approaching i didn't have to look twice to know that he was a woodsman born he was dressed like a lumberman wore shoe packs and carried a rifle he had a pack made up of his blankets strapped on his back and i suppose that whatever else he carried was inside of that he had a close cropped beard brown heavy streaked with gray bushy gray eyebrows and blue-gray eyes that seemed to look right through you and yet for all their keenness were mighty pleasant he was about six feet tall and when he took his hat off a long scar showed beginning at the edge of the hair and running straight back bill marshman game warden and deputy sheriff interrupted pat what now might he be doing way off up here i wonder plimpton nodded you're a good guesser pat that's who it was though of course i didn't know it at first and i wondered what in the deuce he was driving at by the questions he fired at me wanted to know how many of us were in the party how long we had been here if we had seen anybody else or heard any guns where we had come from where we were going whom we had for a guide and a lot more when i told him that we were from woodcraft camp and that pat was our guide he seemed satisfied he said he had guessed as much when he saw the lone wolf banner on the flagpole and as long as we were boy scouts and from what he knew of them scouts were to be trusted he would tell me who he was and what he was after and then he told me his name and said that he had received word that an outlaw wanted for murder in canada had crossed the line and was supposed to be somewhere in this section seems he had been in some kind of fracas in the lumber camp in which a man had been knifed and he was wanted for the killing being a lumberjack it was supposed that he would make for one of the lumber camps on this side and he the sheriff was making a round of them he had been at the gillicuddy camp when he happened to think of smuggler's hollow and what a bully place it would be for a fellow to hide out so he decided to have a look here he didn't have much of a description of the man wanted he was supposed to be of scott's descent about five feet eight in height and the little finger of his left hand is missing he dusted out in a hurry taking mighty little with him but his rifle and his blanket but he is a good woodsman and is said to know the country thoroughly on both sides of the line and the sheriff figures that he can hide out for some time living off the country that's why he decided to have a look in here while he was talking i thought of the thief that swiped our stuff at little goose pond and told him about it he was interested right away said he didn't know of any one around this part of the country who would swipe supplies like that unless he was mighty hard up if they really wanted him they would just walk into the camp and ask for him it looked to him as if it was more than likely that the fellow he was after was the one who visited us for if he was short of supplies as reported he must be hungry for something besides fresh meat by this time i told him how pat had found the cracker crumbs on the trail out from the little goose and he was inclined to think as pat does that the fellow has left these diggings probably striking for the camps to the west we broiled a venison steak for lunch and then he said that he must be hitting the trail he said he was going to have a look at a couple of hunters camps to the north and then would probably swing around to the lumber camps to the west put me on my honor as a scout that none of us would say anything about him or the man he is looking for to any visitors we may have i told him about the bear and he laughed fit to kill himself said all i needed to have done was to have hollered once and mr bear would have dusted out just as he did when he detected him coming down the trail what gets me is how that bear heard him or smelled him or found out some other way that he was coming long before he showed up did you see how old a chap the outlaw is demanded spud yes just a young fellow not much over twenty replied plumpton and did you tell him about finding the footprint at the spring on smuggler's hollow trail 
pursued Spud eagerly. No, confessed Plimpton. I forgot all about that. Anyhow, I bet it's the same fellow, declared Spud. Say, fellows, wouldn't it have been great if we could have captured a regular outlaw? Perhaps we may yet. He may be hanging around here yet, for all we know. Gee, but it be a feather in our caps. Think how the papers would play it up. Boy scouts capture bloody outlaw. Run him down in a stronghold in the wilderness and deliver him over to justice. A general laugh followed Spud's theatrical delivery of this dime-novel thriller, and then all hands went out to inspect the damage done by the bear and repair it so far as possible. The table was a hopeless wreck, and as it was too late to get more bark that night, there was nothing for it but to leave this for the next day. He was a big one, commented Pat as he studied Bruin's tracks. "'Tis a pity you did not have a gun handy. "'A fine map for your room the skin of the old black rascal would have made. "'Don't you suppose he'll come back?' asked Spud eagerly. "'Not in a month of blue moons,' replied Pat. "'A bear the size of that one has lived long enough to be wise to the ways of men, "'and now that he's found out that the camp he inhabited, "'tis not the likes of him that will be poking his nose into trouble.' "'Did Big Bill say anything about the trails out of the hollow?' "'Yes,' replied Plimpton. "'He said that the one you and Spud started out to look for "'is an old trapper's trail over to some ponds northwest of here.' "'I thought as much,' said Pat. "'We found it, and by the signs I made up my mind "'that it was of no importance. "'He also said that there's a trail from the upper end of the hollow "'over to Big Bear Pond about five miles due east.' but it's hard to get to because of a big beaver pond that fills almost the whole of the upper end of the hollow, the outlet of which is the stream down below us here. A trail from Big Bear Pond leads over to a little village, I forget the name of, about ten miles farther east, and from there there is a trail over the line into Canada. He thinks it is probable that that is the way the fellow he is after came in. The trail he took himself is out of the lower end of the hollow and swings north for a short distance, ending at the hunter's camps he wanted to have a look at. One of them is only a couple of miles or so from here. Pat nodded. I know it, said he. Tis the one we would have gone to if we had found anyone here. The other is about six miles beyond, continued Plimpton. These are the only trails he knows of, and he seems to be pretty familiar with this part of the country. Again Pat nodded. No one knows it better he commented. I told him about Lost Trail, Plimpton went on, and he said that he had heard the story, but took little stock in it. When I pointed out the known fact that smugglers did make use of this hollow, and that they must have had some way of getting here from Canada, he said he thought it more than probable that the beaver pond didn't exist in those days, and that they came in by way of Big Bear Pond. Their object was a safe hiding place for their stuff, and not a shortcut into the States, as was the case with the raiding parties of the early days. If there ever was such a trail, and he doubts it, it has been lost so long that it probably never will be found again, in his opinion. He advises us to stay here as long as we can and make the most of the hunting, which he says is good, and then work around the south side of Beaver Pond and take it to Big Bear Trail if we are really bound to take that message through into Canada. He doesn't approve of us trying to make a bee-line north without a trail because of some bad country. This was not altogether cheering news, and that evening, as they sat around the fire, they discussed the matter thoroughly. It seemed very clear that none of the known trails could be the one they were looking for. 
The Big Bear Trail was altogether too far to the east. No war party making a hurried raid would ever have swung way over to Smuggler's Hollow, miles out of their way, in order to strike the American settlements. "'I tell you what it is,' said Upton emphatically. "'There's a break somewhere in that range to the north, or else they came straight over the mountains. It's up to us to find a break on the north side of the hollow. If we can't, we'll cross the range and make our own trail as straight north as we can. Going out by way of Big Bear Trail would be no real scout work at all. It doesn't look as if we had much of a chance to find the old trail.' but we can show what kind of woodsmen we are, and I think that it is what Dr. Miriam expects of us. I'm for pushing straight north when we are convinced that we can't find the old trail, but I'm not giving up hope of that yet. What do you fellows say? That we're right with you, old scout, replied Hal promptly. Traveling a well-known trail like the Big Bear Trail wouldn't be any fun at all. To this the others agreed. All right, that's settled, replied Upton. "'What shall we do tomorrow?' "'I'd like to have a look at that beaver pond,' said Spud. "'I've never seen a live beaver, and I'd like to see the dam and the houses.' "'Same here,' replied Walter. "'We saw the pond today from a distance. "'Pat knows all about beavers, so I'll appoint him guard for tomorrow, "'and the rest of us will go up to the pond, unless some had rather do something else.' "'But this plan just suited the others, and so the matter was left.' End of chapter 11